For tuning in to the 189th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, whichever podcasting app you are listening to me via. Going to have a great show for you today. Going to have two really good interviews. Going to have my guy, Kenny Sim, on, scouting expert sport for 247 Sports. We are going to delve into college football, just continue talking about it a little bit more. We're also going to get into some of Kenny's top prospects that we have to look forward to this year because college football will still go on, even though the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have decided not to play. But as of right now, the Big 12, SEC, ACC have decided to play. So me and Kenny are also going to talk about that. And then also, this is going to be around the 56-minute mark, we're going to have Mike Vorkanoff on the show. He covers the New York Knicks for The Athletic. We dive into the new hiring of uh, head coach Tom Thibodeau. We also talk about kind of why free agents don't go to New York. And we had some other stuff. So that was an interesting interview as well. And we're going to have all that coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have my guy, Kenny Sim, scouting expert for 247 Sports, my friend, my football, my football buddy. Uh, we have been kind of talking about this and covering this for a while, and we've kind of talked about how we think football is going to happen, Kenny, and I think last time you were on the show, we talked about the NFL, and I think we talked a little bit about college, too, where... You know, it's going to happen because it subsidizes a lot of these athletic programs. And it looked like for a while college football wasn't happening. Maybe the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 will make it happen. But how shocked are you? How how shocked were you that a, a conference that you love and a conference you follow because you're from Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes, just cancels the conference to see the Pac-12 and college football being in jeopardy? Yeah, so thanks for having me on the show. Obviously really disappointed by that. I was. I was shocked that they're going to try to have a, a great American sport like college football that, 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 that still has regional ties, but over about the last three decades it's become a national sport that they're going to have a college football season potentially without the, the, the Big Ten and without Ohio State, Michigan, all-time leader in wins in Division One and whatnot. So I think... Uh, you know, I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but especially the Big Ten, really dropped the ball. And I think they made a, a cataclysmic mistake by canceling college football that could potentially have long-term ramifications on their conference in terms of recruiting, in terms of where where they're thought of in the national eye, which comes into play when you get national TV games 
when there's a bubble team on the verge of a playoff, a lot of times the conference comes into play. And all in, in terms of recruiting, too, it's going to be hard to recruit kids to the schools that have just canceled. Um, and you equate all of that. I was shocked it happened. Uh, you know, the football programs at these schools oftentimes pay for all of the athletics. So that was, a, you know, from, from an economic side. And I just don't think, you know, Kevin Warren is, is thinking straight and the university president who I call feckless oligarch, that they vote no on this. And there's some, you know, medical data, some like proprietary medical data out there that, that the three schools want to proceed, or the three conferences want to proceed forward, yet the Big Ten has something that says no, along with the Pac-12. If anything, and, and the Big Ten just released their schedule last Wednesday, if anything, they could postpone it. So they were supposed to start on time on September 5th. They could have postponed it. Uh, September 26th, like the SEC, and that's the latest date that I've seen with a start, September 26th, and they have built in bye weeks and built in off weeks to have, you know, the Big Ten had 11, 11 weeks of football over 16 weeks on the calendar, so they could have, if, if anything, postponed it, um, and then they went against coaches and players and parents, too. Not sure how much voices the players have or the NCAA doesn't want them to have, but this could have ramifications on Big Ten coaches too. You know, if, if, if they know that their conference isn't putting football first, you know, you could see a guy like a James Franklin leave for that USC job. And you could see guys like, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day leave for the NFL. It's decisions like this. I mean, I think this was a watershed moment in the NCAA in college football. I, I completely agree with you, and it's just, it, it's really interesting because it's like, the NBA is playing, MLS is playing, leagues in Europe are playing for soccer, uh, you have NASCAR is going on, there's been UFC fights, I think there's been boxing matches, Major League Baseball is going on, you have, the NFL is going to have a season, you had high schools. I think in Iowa, they finished up for the spring sports. They finished up their season, like especially particularly for baseball, they wanted to get that done. So you even had high schools that were uh, that were able to finish off their sports seasons. But college football is like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. And it's just, it's it, to me, it's embarrassing. Like to me, it's embarrassing, and it, it's particularly embarrassing. I just saw this. Ohio State is going to have students on campus. But they can't play football, and it's just idiot. It's just hypocrisy at the highest order. Like you can't have your cake and eat it too. If it's not safe enough to play football because you're worried about COVID, and they're also gonna have uh, intramural sports too at Ohio State. Intramural sports, so you can play flag football. <laughs> My God, but you can't. You can't play for the football team. It's just to me, it's a hypocrisy for the fact that. You will charge students to go to class, right? How expensive college can be. The state can be open. Bars can be open. All these other places can be open. But you're like, you can't play football. To me, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, especially from a health standpoint, if, if, if you do put player safety, you know, at the forefront, which is what Kevin Warren said, is how can you say that yet the football players – you know, I don't. I, I mean, like, Ohio State has the resources to continue to test, and they said they will, and they'll have 
kind of like their full off season of the 20 hour week and practices and whatnot. However, is, is, you know, they're testing these kids regularly and, you know, being in the football facility bubble is you have, you know, more access to healthcare, testing, all of that stuff as opposed to not uh, having football and not having that. So just way more training and everything if you were to go through with a season. So so it's easier to, you know, test and see if you have the virus or not or any other things for that matter. And then it's going to be very difficult to say that, yet, you know, potentially having a spring season where, you know, I don't know if you have, like, you know, no, 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 no one said how long the season's going to be in the spring potentially, but let's just take a minimal, minimal of eight games only, and then you would play the 2021 season. I mean, that's at minimum 20 full games of college football in one calendar year, and where where you have you know just just injuries from overwork and concussion that have you know been proven that it could cause more injury that way from more and more football than the virus. So it, it's the same thing, yet, you know, they're going to try to play in the spring, which, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, things change all the time with with this stuff, but, you know, seeing how they can pull it off in the spring, we'll, we'll have to see, but, you know, it might be very, very difficult to do for a variety of reasons. Kenny, as a as a Ohio State fan, what was your reaction? Just like, what was your immediate reaction when you heard like the Buckeyes are not going to be playing this fall? It was the same thing as not having college football in the Pac-12 and Big Ten canceling. So it's it's it, it's the same thing along those lines. From an Ohio State standpoint, getting more down to the team, you know, I thought they were. I mean, they they were probably going to. I think the coaches' poll came out. They were number two. Phil Steele, his, his magazine had them number one and winning it. I thought they probably would have started the season number two or number one. But I thought, you know, this year, they definitely had the team to win the title. And, and placing a bet on Ohio State to win the national title would have been a good move. And they would have been just up there with, you know, uh, two or three other teams that have a great shot, uh, having probably the best throw prospect quarterback that they've had at Ohio State ever in Justin Fields coming in year two and having, you know, upwards of, I was looking at it, probably upwards of about 15 or 20 guys that are going to play in the NFL this coming year. And then you have everyone else not eligible, but NFL players from sophomores and freshmen. So they were going to have a very good team like they've had in the past. So, you know, missing out on just a chance to win another Big Ten title, win a national championship, uh, you feel for the kids like that. And then also what we're going to talk about today with the NFL draft is is how, you know, college football is afraid of lawsuits. Well, how, how about some of these players with their agents signing a lawsuit for future earnings loss? An example of that would be if they didn't have a season last year, Joe Burrow wouldn't have been the number one pick. Joe Burrow would not have been in a competition to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He used probably to be a fifth-round picker later. Uh, the last three number-one picks, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Burrow, 
they were not first rounders at all. So this is how much a season could help you. So yeah, I mean Justin Fields, regardless, going to be a top five pick probably. But I look at two guys on this Ohio State team that could have been helped by having a season. So guys like a like a Sean Wade, who was the next QB in, or who who was the next corner in line in that Ohio State history of DBs to go in the first round. Sean Wade's an inside corner. He, he came back last year, or he, he came back this year to prove he could play on the outside and be a high pick in the first round. That's not happening anymore. Wyatt Davis, their guard, thought of as one of the top interior offensive linemen. He could have boosted his stock from, you know, anywhere that he would have been drafted into maybe the top ten. So, it's having a season that can move guys up, and it happens all the time in their last year, the senior year, the junior year. I mean, guys can go from not being drafted to being drafted, moving their draft stock up from where the season started to ended, and it's further enhanced by, like I said, you just take a look at the last three number one picks in their final season. You know, all those guys wouldn't have been first-round picks with the number one pick overall if it wasn't for that last year. So that hurts them from a from an NFL level too. Why don't you think, and this is the part that is so disturbing about this, and it just shows the incompetency of the NCA. Why, if you were going to announce this, why not announce this months ago? Like, like you mentioned, they put out the Big Ten schedule. Like, they had players on campus getting ready to play football. Like, to do this, like, literally right before the season starts and be like, okay, nope, we're not doing it then. It, it, it's just ignorant. It, it, it makes no sense. And part of the issue, too, is maybe if you do it five months, four months ago, maybe a player can transfer and be like, I want to play. Now that can't happen. You just have players twiddling their thumbs being like, okay, guess we can't play. Yeah, Tyler, yeah it's going to be a hard – I mean, you know, I know – you know, some, some, some people are talking about, you know, play, uh, you know, like the top players in the Big Ten transferring to other schools, where a lot of those schools, uh, talking about SEC, ACC, and Big Ten have been practicing, and they have a scholarship limit of 85. So they all have 85 on scholarship already. Um, so that really can't happen. Um, so, you know, not being able to transfer is kind of out the window. Big Ten might might have been having two different plans like having a plan like on a parallel path that one is yeah we're going to play let's release the schedule last week and go forward other plan is if we you know looking at whatever we're looking at on when to announce no no um no fall football so big Ten was the first one to have no non-conference games about a month ago now the first one to say canceling the fall season so you know maybe they had two different paths and they were trying to wait out as long as possible but the way they fills in the schedule they could have postponed it a little bit I don't think three weeks really would have done anything if you take a look at the full scope of a you know of a virus and all the data points I don't I mean nothing's going to change in three weeks that they probably didn't already know so with all of that you know I know the timing of that was heavily criticized as well. What do you think Justin Fields is going to do? Like, Justin Fields isn't going to play now, right? Because the draft, 
would coincide with the spring season if they decide to play it. Like, like J Justin Fields is gone now, right? Yeah, I would think so. I, I mean, I don't know how many. If you're going to the draft, you know, a lot of times you start, you know, training down at a, at a facility like Arizona or Florida or L.A. like as soon as your season's over, beginning in January. So I don't know if, if you knew you were going to go to the NFL or you're kind of on the fence and you were or you're a senior and you're going to go. I don't know, you know, how many of those guys are going to play. I would think a lot of them decide not to play um, in the fall, in, in, in the spring. So that's another reason why you know, just, just having kind of a watered-down version of the spring for college football. And, and, that, and that goes for a lot of teams, too. I think a lot of these teams that, you know, maybe 10 to 15 guys that would opt out for NFL or potentially thinking they could go to the NFL and train for that. So you're going to have a reduced roster. So that's another reason why the spring, you know, a disadvantage of that. But I don't think – I mean, I think right now what Justin Fields should do is, you know – Staying and working at Ohio State, or you know, potentially finding the Jordan Palmer, the Tom House, the the QB gurus, are training with them, training really hard with them for about seven to eight months before the draft, and really refining their skills. Um, but I know it was talked about on some national shows. I mean, I don't even think about the debate. I don't. I, Justin Fields is done playing at Ohio State. Now, also, to the interesting thing he about... Has nothing to, it's, 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 sorry, uh, uh, he, he has nothing more to prove from an NFL level. So whether he plays or not, he's going to be a top-five pick. I mean, if he decides to come back to Ohio State, you know, playing in the cold weather, not having Toledo and Buffalo on the schedule, maybe having, you know, guys that opt out, so less skill talent, less offensive line talent, maybe his numbers drop off a little bit. But the point being is there's there's no need for him to play. He's going to go in the top five if, if he doesn't play at all. So just minimizing those risks would help him. So I don't see him playing. Now, what I have to ask you, Kenny, is this. So, like I said, the Big, the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC are all looking like they're going to play. The Pac-12 and the Big 10 are not. And to me, this is interesting because this could be almost the – there's always been talk about, you know, maybe we should split the Power Five away from the Group of Five, make it just kind of one, th uh, two, two separate things, right? And could this be the start of it? Because we kind of talked about this a little bit off air. Like, this hurts the Big Ten. This hurts, hurts the Pac-12. Like, in terms of, like you said, coaches, even players going there. Could this just make it like a Power Three conference? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that they'll they'll have the big five. Talk to an AAC fan, they think it should be a power six, but I still think it being a power five, if anything, would probably further move the difference from power five and group of five with you know, a lot of the group of five schools not having football gonna hurt their athletic department to pay for everything, pay for facilities recruiting budgets, coaches, all of that. So I think, if anything, it could widen it a little bit more. But I think, to your point, if there was one thing that maybe could come out of this is you would hope, finally, 
that from from a high level, having five different commissioners and medical advisory boards, you would hope that college football could have potentially like a commissioner oversee all of college football or a commissioner oversee the power five um, or having that czar they call in the media like the czar of college football because the lack of central leadership was so evident and such a breakdown over the past few weeks in college football and uh, so, so, so I don't think you'll see like a big like a big three and Big Ten, Pac-12, at a different tier than everybody else. Um, but I think having a, a, a commissioner would help, kind of overseeing everything, because they're at, you know, five different conferences making five different decisions, and then within those conferences, like the Big Ten, you had, I mean, trying to get 14 ADs and coaches on the same page is hard enough. So having that central leadership, all having the same medical board to see things would help. Um and so I, I, I always say, you know, you can say whatever you want about Roger Goodell, loving him or hate him. He's a strong leader. And, you know, what they've done with having the Players Association, the teams on the same page, getting safety protocols in place, having a, having a collective bargaining agreement extended a year ahead of time, all of that stuff, and the testing and the resources that they put in place, if anything, it kind of just goes about this one week, just how how certain that you could be that there's going to be an NFL year. So I think having a you know a commissioner of the Power Five would go a long way in helping this breakdown from happening again in college football. And do you think also and also the the crazy thing about this, and to your point, well, why why maybe well, why we obviously do need a commissioner is first of all, it's a billion dollar industry. They need a commissioner, right? Like. <laughs> the, the, the college football is arguably the second biggest sport to the NFL in the country. Like it, it's certainly more popular than sports like hockey and baseball in terms of what people are watching. I could argue it's more popular than the NBA overall in America. So they, they need a commissioner. But also the the point that really makes it evident that they need a commissioner is the fact that you can have the Big Ten say, no, Moss, we're not playing. The SEC can say, F you, we're going to play anyway. Whether all you conferences play, we'll play each other. You can have, the, which is, to me is crazy. And then you can have people like Scott Frost have a press conference and say, hey, if the Big Ten doesn't play, we'll just go to another conference and play for a year. That's dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, it's been like that for some time, too, in, in college football and, and in the, just in the college sports in general, too. It's been a long time coming, so... You know, they have a president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Nowhere to be found right now for not only this, but a lot of bigger issues in college sports and everything. So, you know, definitely that overhaul is needed, and, and, and it's pretty evident. Now, how happy or let me maybe use a better word, surprised were you that when it kind of looked like college football would lose the season that the SEC kind of stepped up and said, we're, we're, we're playing anyway. Like, the SEC was kind of adamant, then the ACC kind of followed, and then the Big 12 announces, I think that night, a couple days ago, that we're playing too. So, I want to know, how shocked were you? Because at that moment, I thought it was all going to be canceled, but the SEC was like, damn that, we're going to play. How shocked were you that that happened? Wasn't too shocked, um, because 
you know, some stuff came out that said that all the Power Five wanted to make decisions in unison, but, you know, these, so mainly, at least as like the, as like the contact person, it's the commissioner, is the commissioner has to take care of his, his constituents. He, he's got to represent them. So, you know, you could have schools in the north or out west and they're not playing. Well, that's different. And there's a whole set of different criteria and everything that the SEC is going off of. So, you know, they're going to make the decision that's best for their conference. So, you know, once that started to come to the forefront and you understand that, I think is that there wasn't going to be just a huge, a huge day where they all say yes, we're playing, or they all say no, we're not playing. They're they're going to make decisions all independently. I think the, you know, the SEC and the ACC definitely wanted to move forward. Also, with the ACC having the ACC network last year funded and owned by ESPN. ESPN now has SEC and ACC network. They, they're kind of probably pushing more towards having football with all that TV revenue and having that partnership with ESPN. But the Big 12 was really the swing state, I would say. Is, is If the Big 12 decided not to have football, then only having two of the main conferences, not sure. But as long as you have that three out of five, as long as you have that three out of five majority of the power five, um, you know, the optics still look good to have football. And I know a lot of those states in the Big 12, especially Texas, I know Texas has been adamant about having, I mean, they wanted to have full capacity at uh, Texas Longhorn games, but the governor said, and that's what the AD said. So they're really adamant, especially Texas, with I think, I think uh, five of the 10 schools in the Big 12 are from Texas. They're pretty adamant about having football and going forward and, and listening to the players and coaches. Um, so that was really like the swing state in that regard is the Big 12 and getting them on board. And the next day they came out with a schedule. They came out with a full, uh, I think it was a nine-game schedule. I think the Big 12 is going to be a nine plus one. So all nine teams are going to play each other in the Big, Ten, in, in Big 12 with a non-conference game. So that came out the next day, yesterday actually, of their schedule. So you have all of that. And how do you think it will look with three conferences, with just the three playing? Yeah, so it's so just three. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be almost every other Saturday without the Big Ten and, Big, and, and Pac-12. So... You know, I know CBS has a lot at stake with having that 3-3 SEC game. Um, definitely going to see more of those teams on national TV if, if, if it does happen. And, you know, probably have a probably have a top 25 every week come out of the playoff ratings. Fully, fully supported with all those three conferences and then a couple of the group of five. I think there's three group of fives right now that are still – still saying that they're on schedule to play so I would say it looks similar in the aspect of games every week and having that you're just going to have no non-conference and just just less games overall so you can focus more on those three conferences other than or compared to those five 
do you think they will actually play the season and finish it? Well, I mean, hopefully. No one knows, but um, especially when you saw kind of with many schools just pushing things to the spring, and those two conferences, you know, there's always a chance that they decide not to play after, you know, three weeks and when students get on campus, if there is an outbreak and whatever the case might be. So, right then, so, you know, they would seem to be, uh, colleges would be more apt to having that outbreak and suspending the season compared to, like, the professional league, like with the major leagues, with the Marlins and the Cardinals. They kind of just stopped those games and just kept everything moving on and stuff. So um, I would say if something were to come out and more outbreaks happen, college football would be more quick to pull the plug, more more trigger happy. But, um, you know, just seeing where things were like a month ago and two months ago, it's impossible to tell. It's definitely kind of a kind of a ticket. So hopefully it does. Uh, we'll just have to see day by day. And also, would there be a college football playoffs then? Like, so would it just be the ACC, SEC, and uh, Big Twelve? They just play the college football playoffs too. Is that how that would work? Yeah, that's the look of it right now. So now, if we have that, and here's my thing about how it affects the the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Like, if they play in spring, are they going to try to play for their own championship? Like, I don't understand how that would work. And if they do play in the spring. And then both the SEC and ACC and Big 12 have their seasons. Are, are they going to play in, in the fall again for the Big 10 and Pac-12? Because to me, you can't have, have like two seasons in one calendar year, but then the other teams will just have more of a physical advantage as they're rested. Like, how, 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 how does that, all that work? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, so all, all of this is, all of this needs to be determined. So it's a complete hypothetical, uh, but... You know, start starting with the fall. I would think that they would have the playoffs like normal. So take the four best teams, probably going to have representatives of all three of those Power Five conferences, and you know, play the playoff business as usual. With the, I mean, with the spring, I mean, there's been no details on what's going to happen with the spring. How long the season's going to be. Is there even going to be playoffs? Are they just going to have a conference championship? All of that. So all of that has to be determined. But, you know, if those three, if, 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 if those three schools, if, if those three conferences go about the fall, they play, they have a season, playoffs with those three conferences, I would think that winner would be recognized as the champion. And I would think a lot, especially having like Clemson and and the SEC schools playing. I, I mean, I would think they would be recognized as the champion for this this 2020-2021 year. Um, you know, not sure if the spring is even going to happen, but if there is a spring season, you know, it's just to be determined if they're going to have Big Ten and Pac-12 play each other. Just having those conferences, just just having a a champion in each one. They just have ten games or eight games or however that looks. So that's to be determined. But I think you know if if, if they have a fall season, that it's going to be you know if they do finish it, it's going to be business as usual. And 
whoever wins wins. Now, if we do have a season, and I did ask you about this, so who are some prospects that maybe we should be looking forward to if we do have a season? Yeah, I put together a list, have a good list of about, you know, 40 to 50 guys I've looked at originally. So, so, uh, so, so a couple, um, a couple that kind of stood out is, you want me to exclude the Big Ten and Pac-12? Yeah, exclude the Big Ten and Pac-12 for right now. Okay. So, from a QB standpoint, obviously, we've talked about him a lot, is, is, is Trevor Lawrence, number one pick right now. Uh, he's the big one, obviously. Two other guys to look at from a QB perspective, I'm going to say, is Wake Forest Trainer, the quarterback of Georgia now, Jamie Newman. Kind of, kind of a big arm, mobile guy. Take a look at him. And then Kyle Trapp, QB of Florida. So I think he got a lot of like just just, just because they were kind of rotating last year, and he was just so much better from an arm talent perspective. Um, but, you know, having the talent around him that he does at Florida, Kyle Trask is a guy to keep, keep a look at. Um, you know, always having, like, you know, take a look at, like, Joe Burrow last year or Kyle Murray, kind of a guy that comes out from nowhere. Maybe keep an eye on Kyle Trask. Um, and then... From a running back standpoint, there is a couple. The Alabama running back, Najee Harris, kind of in the committee last year. He's a big body, five-star guy. Was their key guy in the backfield last year. He's a guy I'd look at as one of the top running backs in this class. Also, Clemson running back, Travis Etienne. Really shifty guy, catches the ball out of the backfield, 4-3-9 guy. Grand Strive prescribed Isaiah Simmons. ETN, a lot of people are surprised he's came back. I think he could be a potential the top 15 pick. He's, he's one of the key cogs. I think he could be one, one of the top non-QBs to be a Heisman front runner. Clemson running back, Travis ETN. Um, and then going through the wide receivers quickly before we take a quick three and probably go to the defense side of the ball. Here we go again. Another year with, you know, maybe over five first-round picks at the wide receiver position. One of them I want to talk about is Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was the best receiver for LSU last year that put uh, Justin Jefferson in the NFL. They got two five-star guys at LSU. Um, Terrence Marshall, Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is a Belinda Cup winner. I think he's the top receiver in college football right now. So he's a guy to take a look at. Really does it all. Um, kind of thing where a guy like uh, like a Jerry Judy or a C.D. Lamb went last year. I think Chase is better than both of them. So he, he's definitely a guy that so maybe a, a definitely a guy that you would look at to go in the top ten. Um, Alabama has two receivers too, so they had four last year. Jerry Judy and uh, the Rugs kid went. They have two guys. They, they have Devontae Smith. And the thing with Devontae Smith to look at it is, excuse me, is he's the guy that Tua always went to when he had a key 
play. He, he has a game-winning touchdown catch in the national championship against Georgia. Uh, really fast guy. He could do it all. And, 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 and there's always a little something for looking at, just, just like subconsciously. Like, when the game's on the line, when you need a big play, who does the quarterback go to? Who, who does the offensive coordinator call the play where the guy's the first or second option? That's always Devontae Smith. So I take a close look at him. Um, and, and, and then the other guy is uh, Jalen Waddle is the other receiver. So another year, Alabama, two first-round picks at receiver. Uh, and then there's a couple guys that now with like six ten and at twelve not 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 playing. Um, they're they're not playing so so their season's over. But USC had a kid, uh, Amon St. Brown, five star kid, really good year last year. It's a shame that they're not playing, so you won't see his stock move up or down. Um, so those are a couple of the top three receivers, I would say right now to look at. No, and it's really interesting when you look at all this. First, I would ask you this. So, and also the really interesting thing, too, about if there's two separate seasons for college football, so which season counts for the Heisman, too? Or, or all the awards? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a lot of... It's really crazy. But I do want to ask you this. To me, because of the way Alabama plays, I, I feel like they're going to go back to more of a ball control, run it, type of offense. Do you think Najee Harris could be a Heisman finalist? Yeah, I mean, if they do do that, I mean, he'd be in, like, the same same situation as Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry um, when they won it. So, so Najee Harris is a guy, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he'd be the lead back this year getting substantial work. He, you know, Alabama's office and Nick Saban they like to roll guys in that backfield and have at least two. Um, he's really like the premier guy in that backfield. I don't think they have like a like a when Najee Harris was a freshman, like a five star kid, if I recall, that that's on the roster right now. So Harris is going to get the bulk of that workload in the backfield, and you know, talent wise, he's just as good as them. He can catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. But I mean, if you take a look at him, I mean, I mean, he's a, you know, he's a big body like like a Zeke or a Saquon. So I would think this year is his chance to uh, have his coming out party, and that's just just another reason why, you know, having the college football season to help these kids. I mean, this guy, you know, with a good season, he could move into that first round. He could move into the maybe the first running back taken. So um, him and ETN would be ones that would be the non QBs to get. Heisman hype and get votes. Yeah, because th- those are two. I think ETN has a better shot just because, you know, we talked about him a little bit. Is um, T. Higgins leaving Clemson? Their next guy in line that we talked about, uh, Justin Ross, is out with a neck injury. I didn't know if you saw that, but he's going to be out this whole year. Is it? Actually, we'll have to see. Uh, his football career might be in jeopardy. Actually, so they would. I mean, so 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 they still got guys, but I think ETN's going to be more and more of a focal point of that offense. He got a lot of votes for the Heisman last year. Um, kind of coming back to Clemson, you know, you think they kind of, you know, hype him up or, or give him a little break and give him more and more 
carries and touches to kind of show off his talent, help the team. So I think ETN would be the guy in that running that pool that would have a shot to win the Heisman. Now I'm going to stop you really quick, Kenny. We're going to take a quick break, and then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the defensive prospects. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk and still have Kenny Sim with us. Now, really quickly before we get to the defensive prospects, I do want to ask you this because I'm just remembering this. So, there was a lot of talk about potentially Ohio State playing in another conference. People talked about Nebraska playing in another conference. It looks like that's not going to happen. Is is that not legal? It would, yeah, it, it would just be really tough to do with contractual ties, legal issues, TV contracts, and having, I, I mean, I'm sure there's probably like a, like a, like the presidents of the AD have to vote, to vote them into a conference or vote out of a, con, a conference. I think all of that just, it, it, it's just not, it was never going to happen. Now, to get back to... And Ohio State has typically been a school that has always kind of agreed with the Big Ten and kind of towed the company line there. Like a, like you saw Nebraska go, go public and express its dismay and wanting to potentially leave. So, especially this late in the game with maybe, you know, six weeks before the season, I, I, I just don't think it's feasible to change that in the schedule for everything. Now, to kind of go back to the prospects, I do want to go back to the offensive prospects really quick and just ask you this. And you, you kind of mentioned about NTN, ETN and uh, Najee Harris. I do want to go to the wide receivers, though, with both Devontae Smith and Waddle. Do you think those two are a better combination than what Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy was last year? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, so, of the two last, so, so of those four, it's the embarrassment of Richard Alabama having four first-round wide receivers on a team. Uh, the two best, though, were Judy and Bruggs, were the two best in Alabama last, last year. Jerry Judy has been known for some time, and then with Bruggs, you know, the speed component and just how fast he is just comes into play so quickly. Um, so I think those two would be better. Devontae Smith, I think he was one of those two guys, Smith or Waddle. I think it's Devontae Smith. He's only 175 pounds, so really kind of small from a size standpoint compared to other receivers taken in the first round like that. So that's one thing to look out for. But I think um, Judy and Ruggs were better as a tandem. Now let's go to the defensive prospects. Who are some guys that we should be looking out for? Yeah, so 
kind of doing some summer scouting and really starting it, kind of kicking off like what the front offices do is, you know, let's just try to get some guys on the radar here, Daryl, is you start off saying, okay, you picture like the draft is like a highway. Like, let's put these guys first. Like, if we're on a highway, you know, let's put these guys, you know, what city are they going to be in? As in, like, what, like, round of the draft or what what day of the draft. And then as we go in through, like, the combine and workouts like that, say, okay, let's place these guys in a neighborhood, a street, and then a house and lock in the draft for us. So right now, let's just try to get some guys in the neighborhood or, or, or let's try to get some guys in the city for that analogy. Let's try to get some guys as, you know, first-round guys, guys that could have been first-round guys if they played, uh, just get some guys on the radar, especially guys that are going to play this year. Um, from a defensive line standpoint, one of them has opted out already, and he was thought to be the top edge rusher this year in college football um, was Miami defensive and Gregory Rodeau. Had about 15 sacks last year, about six foot six, 265. Uh, a lot of production behind the line of scrimmage. He's not playing though, but you know, he, he, he definitely has some traits that you like at the edge position. Um, he's, he's one. Two other guys on the defensive line is, or actually a couple, I'll just, I'll just name them off, is his counter, his, his two count, count, uh, counterparts. So Miami Hurricanes had three guys at defensive end to look out for. Rizzo out, we're down to two. One's Quincy Roche, he's a defensive end. Uh, you know, a guy you put in that top 30, top 50 players coming out to look at. Um, and another guy that I'd like for some time now is Jalen Phillips. Another guy playing for Miami. He was the number one recruit in the country in 2017. Started off at UCLA. He transferred that out last year. Jalen Phillips. Six foot six, two sixty five, um, for Miami. And then Wake Forest defensive end, Carlos Bashman. On Bruce Feldman's break list, really, really talented guy with the trade, Wake Forest defensive end, Carlos Baseman. Um, those would be the guys to look at on the defensive line that you would say, you know, potentially first-round guys, um, top 50 college guys, prospects. Um, two guys in the Big Ten, though, that aren't playing, though. Defensive end, Ohio State, Tyree Smith. Penn State defensive end, Jalen Away. Um, so, a little bit dismantled with the opt-out. Linebackers, though, there's, um, there's two to take a look at. One of them, and, you know, he, he, he opted out there, and they're, they're not playing. It's Arguably the top defensive player in the nation is Michael Parsons, who was the linebacker for Penn State. First team All-American, first team preseason All-American. Uh, really talented guy, sure tackler, and rushed the pass to recover. Um, he opted out, though, in Penn State, obviously not having their season. Uh, but keep an eye on Micah Parsons. The other linebacker in the first round is Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses, five-star guy, 
played as a sophomore, one of their top players as a sophomore. He tore his ACL last year, so he was out. Um, but coming back for his senior year is Dylan Moses. Really a prototypical off-ball linebacker, runs sideways side sideline. He's in the backfield to cover, athletic, uh, coming up with an ACL surgery. Um, you know, have to see how it goes. A lot of times guys are better two years after the surgery than one year after when they get fully healthy. Could pose well when he gets drafted in 2021. Um, but the guy that, you know, first-round pick in the front seven that will be playing this year on schedule two, uh, let's take a look at Dylan Moses, the linebacker of Alabama. Do you think it will hurt Parsons at all that he opted? Well, obviously that he opted out anyway, and the Big Ten's not playing, so I guess it's a moot point. But do you think him not playing will will hurt him at all, or he or it's kind of a Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence situation? He has nothing to prove. Right. So two things with that is, I would say if there was a similar type player like maybe a Dylan Moses and you know similar linebacker and Dylan Moses plays really well. He kind of had that momentum that for the 2020 season he played and he played well. It could kind of project him forward. Uh, and then Parsons, so, so Parsons opted out before their season got canceled. So there was just, you know, I'm sure that especially some of the old school football guys would have to ask the question, why did you opt out? And just saying, you know, when when you know the season might have been played, might have not. He, he just chose to kind of opt out and focus on training for the draft. How is that better than playing with your teammates, following through on the commitment like that? I don't think that really comes into play. I know some guys. I mean, started the trend with McCaffrey and Fournette opting out of the bowl game. And it didn't affect it didn't affect their stock, but I think uh, I think the big thing here is that if, if it's like Dylan Moses or a, or a linebacker really you know plays well, it could move him up to like a similar level as Parsons or maybe uh, a better rated prospect than that. So I still think he's a top. I mean, you know, trying trying to put guys in cities is for put guys in houses right now. I think regardless, Parsons is a top. 15 draft pick a top uh, in the first half. Now for the defensive backs, the secondary? Yeah, so they're really, uh, I mean, there's not really a, you know, kind of, kind of how, how the season hurts some of these guys. There's really not a, uh, a surefire safety that would have been a first-round pick. You know, like last year, Grant Delta started off the year as like a surefire first-round guy. Not really a safety like that. So it kind of hurts these kids by, by not having a season. They, they don't have that opportunity to get to the first round. Um, there is three corners I wanted to discuss that are, you know, start, starting off maybe top 30 players. Um, two of them are not playing. The cancellation. Virginia corner, Caleb Farley, he just opted out um, with COVID. Virginia Tech aren't scheduled to play. Caleb Farley is one of them. 
I want to talk about these last two, though, more importantly, is one, Ohio State corner Sean Wade. So Sean Wade, five-star guy, neck and neck with Akuda coming out of high school. Ohio State locked both of them up. Sean Wade was the starting nickel for Ohio State last year. Really settled in well in that spot. Started as a uh, sophomore and a junior. Decided to come back last year. He, he, he decided to come back this year for his senior year because he was going to be an outside corner. He wanted to show the NFL that, that he's, uh, he could play inside, he could play outside. Uh, he's not just a nickel guy. So he, he's very talented, football skills. He had a chance potentially to move into the top ten, kind of going that Ohio State lineage of being that next great Ohio State corner. And, you know, being taken high in the first round, like a Denzel Ward, Marcus Lattimore. So now with not having the season, uh, just just keep an eye on him. But he's definitely hurt because he's not going to be able to show that he could potentially play outside corner. I think from a talent level, he could, but he just needed to show it on the field. So he's one to look at. Um, unfortunately, kind of, cancellations are hurting a lot of these guys by not playing. One guy that will be playing, though, and he's the last corner I want to say, is Patrick Sertain. If you remember that name, yes, he is the son of former All-Pro defensive back Patrick Sertain, who played for the Dolphins in the early 2000s. That's his kid. I remember watching him play. I'm kind of old now. I kind of just that. Patrick Sertain Jr., Daryl, he's, he's, he's the top corner for Alabama this year. Five-star kid. I knew. I, I remember him. He's like a, like the second or third high school prospect in his class in 20, 2018. He started last year for them. The potential fourth finalist. Um, he's tall. He's about six two. So he's that bigger corner that you look for. Good ball skills. Runs well. Alabama corner Patrick Sertain. He's a guy to watch. And you know, if they play and have a season. He's going up against the guys from LSU. He's going up against some talented receivers for Georgia. He could really elevate himself into that high first round or maybe being the top corner. I think I, I think the top corner right now is up for debate. So he could be a guy that could project up to that level. Uh, early on yesterday in McShay's first mock draft, for whatever it's worth, he had Patrick Sertain going number two. So he's definitely a kid with the talent with another year of playing, another year of starting and getting better. Um, you know, he could potentially be a guy that you say, okay, he's, he's, he played last year, two-year starter, Alabama. He's a safe first-round pick, almost like what we said that with uh, Okuda last year. He's just safe with no weaknesses. So Patrick Sertain, definitely a guy I'd be keeping my eye on at the corner position. Well, thank you, Kenny. I, I know that college football will not be the same without your, your Buckeyes in it. And you, you said you're an SEC supporter now, right? Yeah, it's really just, just, just a point with, the, yeah, with, with, with the Big Ten. So if all those conferences could play this year, I'd definitely be a supporter of that. But, uh, yeah, I'm an SEC fan now. <laughs> they, they know what's up if they're going to continue to have have the season and go forward with that and stuff and it's just it's, 
it just means more in the SEC. So there's a lot of good players. They've always had the most draft picks. So now, yeah, I, I mean, it'd be good from like an NFL standpoint too, if you could really hone in on those SEC games and those those talented teams like Florida and Georgia and LSU and Alabama. I think A and M's gonna be pretty good this year. So to look at them. And Kenny, lastly, I do have to say this, Kenny. It was your birthday this week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday, Kenny. No, thank you. I appreciate it. How, how old did you turn, if you don't mind me asking? I turned 29. Okay. You feel I'm younger than ever? <laughs> well, that's still in your athletic prime. You're still in your prime, right? I know, I know. I haven't hit that age of 30 when usually they start. <laughs> they start cutting you and putting you on one of your contracts. Oh, Kenny. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Look forward to doing it again. And kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Mike Vorkanoff on the show to talk about the New York Knicks. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us today, Mike Vorkanoff. He covers the New York Knicks for The Athletic. How are you doing, Mike? Good, good. How are you doing, Daryl? I'm doing good. I'm doing as well as you can be in a corona, COVID world. <laughs> That's all I yeah. can say. <laughs> Everything's relative right now. Now, now are you in New York? Uh, I'm in Jersey, yeah. Okay, so you've been kind of feeling the effects of it, because I'm in Buffalo, so it's in New York, it's kind of like you're in that tri-state area, so just kind of talk about like how that's kind of been navigating the paths and the landmines through all of that. Yeah, I mean, um, the last five months or so have been pretty uh, difficult, you know, I, I think everyone's seen the numbers and there's been countless coverage of it, it's you know, it's just been a really hard time in this area, just uh, trying to stay safe, trying to avoid getting uh, getting the virus, getting sick. It's it's obviously an unprecedented time to be living in the world, and I, I think maybe um, in New York City area it was the first to be hardest hit, and, and now we're seeing it around the rest of the country, unfortunately. And it's really interesting, too, because, right, as you cover the Knicks, do you think, because everything's changing now with corona, and particularly in New York, because that was one of the places that was hit hardest, do you think... This upcoming basketball season, we will see fans in Madison Square Garden for Knicks games. Do you think that will happen? I mean, I doubt it. Um, I, I just don't. I don't think that the way that New York City has been able to keep the virus relatively in in check since I don't know June, let's say. You know, obviously transmission levels have been low, uh, positivity rates uh, cases have been low uh, compared to where they were in March and April, especially. Um, I, I just don't see how they would then allow uh, people to congregate in an arena um, and, and, you know, start especially uh, start transmission risk all over again. I mean, there are things more important than just getting people to watch basketball. And I also would like to know because, right, the NBA for the, like, 22 or so teams, they're all in a bubble. And, and I'm kind of thinking, like, and when we see kind of what's been going on with college football, right, college football is probably not going to have a season. 
we don't know what's going to go on with the NFL. The MLB is kind of struggling a little bit to deal with COVID themselves. And it seems like maybe the bubble is really the only way you can do this in a safe and clean way. Do you think that the NBA is going to have to go to a bubble next season if they're going to want to do this? Uh, I mean, that would be the easiest way. I don't know that players would agree to do a full season in a bubble, you know, because there's a union. They have uh, the ultimate say over whether they'd agree to something. I think I've seen stories floating uh, regional bubbles, partial bubbles, you know, time-sensitive bubbles. I don't really know. I mean, I guess it can be done without one. We think baseball try it. The NFL is going to try to. Uh, we'll see to what degree it works. Um, but... Uh, I, I guess, you know, I don't think it needs to be done in a bubble, but then it needs to, you need to be especially um, assertive about maintaining safety and, and maintaining that, um, you know, everyone does the right thing when they have to. It's just obviously like the, uh, it becomes so much harder to keep everyone safe when you're not all in one sterilized place. And how's it been for you? I mean, Obviously, you cover the Knicks, but just have you been watching games in the bubble? Like, what's been your take on kind of seeing it without fans, kind of seeing, like, the noises, the virtual fans? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just watching the Utah, uh, the San Antonio game, uh, San Antonio versus the Rockets. I, I mean, it's been great. The basketball's been fun. I haven't really noticed any kind of, um, I don't know, any kind of, like, lower quality for the television product. I sometimes watch games on mute anyway because I'm not a big fan of listening to broadcasters. All the time. So for me, it's been awesome. The basketball has been fun. Like it's just nice to have sports again in a way that doesn't seem to be uh, too dangerous to the players that are playing it. Oh, and why do you mute it? Which which broadcasters uh, do broadcasters get on your nerves when you're trying to watch the game? No, I mean I feel like there's not a lot of great broadcasters out there, um, and so I, I just like I don't know. I just kind of zone out anyway when I'm watching games. I'll also be on Twitter. I'll be Sometimes I'll be listening to a podcast, and so, like, the broadcast experience is not necessary for me to enjoy a game. I definitely feel you there. So, the next, right? They hired Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he was kind of, he seemed like he was kind of the favorite all along, right? He was with the Timberwolves. He had amazing uh, record of success when he was with the Bulls before that, had an MVP in Derrick Rose. What was kind of the mindset of the Knicks bringing Thibodeau in, and how do you think that's all going to work out with him as the coach? Um, you know, someone that's had a long, close relationship with uh, with Leon Rose. He knows uh, William Wesley is their new executive VP. Um, you know, he was the front row the whole time, and it, that's who they landed on as well. And, you know, it, I think sometimes the common sense an- answer is where it goes. Um, yeah, how it works, I have no idea. Uh, I'm, I'm beyond trying to predict how anything with the Knicks ever works. I think that's a kind of a fool there in the last 20 years or so. Um, we'll see. You know, this is probably the most, like, positive situation the Knicks have found themselves in after a coaching and executive change in a long time. Um, we'll see how they build it, what the coaching staff looks like, what the draft, free agency looks like, all that stuff. Uh, but... Well, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question because I just don't. There's so much that we don't know about how this off season is going to go, about how the next few years are going to go. Um, that it's. I think it might be a little difficult to plot out like a conventional NBA future for the next few years, just because of all the other things going on in the world that complicate that. Well, and, and Mike, I would ask you, what do you think makes Thibodeau really the guy for the? Because you can make the argument if you're going to play devil's advocate. I could say he had he wasn't very good in Minnesota. Uh, 
you can make the argument that part of the reason Derrick Rose got hurt was because he played him so much, right? Like Tim Thibodeau, he's a blue collar, like practice, practice, practice. What makes him a guy that's a better coach than, let's say, uh, a guy that's won a championship like a Tyron Lue or something like that? Like, what makes Thibodeau the guy that the Knicks think thinks can bring them kind of out of irrelevance? I mean, I would disagree that he wasn't good at Minnesota. They, you know, ended up making the postseason um, in his second year there. The third year was kind of, uh, there was a lot of weird stuff that went on. I wrote a long story on Tibbs and uh, his Minnesota time for the Athletic yesterday, so you can check it out at the site. Um, He did a good job in Chicago. I think the injury stuff is obviously very important, and really trying to understand how that happened is important, and there's a lot of injuries and guys who got worn down after Chicago and, um, you know, Minnesota was a different case. Uh, so, I, I mean, on the whole, though, he is a pretty successful head coach. So I, I think sometimes that gets lost when thinking about Tibbs, and that certainly happened to me at times as I evaluated the hire. Um, but he does have a pretty good track record, and I think the fact that if you work in an organization uh, that, you know, kind of knows him more than the rest and that seems to be in alignment with him, I think that'll help Tibbs, and I think that'll help the Knicks and just in terms of having – kind of a structure and a plan to making it work. Now, we'll see what the plan is, but at least uh, they should be kind of in agreement how to do what they want to do. Now, somebody that always gets talked about, like why, particularly the person that always comes to mind when I think about this is Stephen A. Smith. If you ever listen to him on first take, he's always like, the Knicks need Mark Jackson. That, that That is the only thing Stephen A. Smith says. Why do you think a guy like Mark Jackson wasn't picked to be uh the Knicks head coach when, you know, he does have New York roots, uh, and he did have success as a head coach with Golden State. Well, I mean, his time in, uh, you know, Golden State ended pretty poorly. That was like an exceptional case where he did have success on the court, but he also had his own issues, right? I think that was one of the few times where the owner was like, uh, you know, bad-mouthing the coach on the way out, and that doesn't happen very often. It happened in Chicago, where he did it with Thibodeau, too, so that goes to show you that it's not unique. Um, I don't know. You know, he hasn't been able to get a job. He's been able to get a few interviews. He hasn't been able to get a job in the five years uh, or six years since Golden State fired him. Um, You know, he did some pretty controversial stuff there in Golden State while he was a coach, and that seems to be following him as he's trying to get back into the league and get back on the sidelines. And um, sometimes, you know, big names get more attention uh, than necessarily other coaches just because you know of them. And so I think there's a lot of reason that someone gets hired or doesn't get hired. I don't know what Stephen A. says. I don't really listen to his show or whatever. But, I mean, he's not the only one out there who was asking for Mark Jackson to be the next Knicks coach. But the, the Knicks, um, you know, I think they interviewed him in 2018 and they didn't hire him. And this time they just didn't even interview him. Now, when you kind of look at all this, right? So, coming into when, when uh, I was listening to uh, Michael Rappaport talk, uh, big Knicks fan. And one of the things he mentioned when why uh, Knicks the Knicks don't get superstars. It wasn't necessarily about Dolan. So, and it's something I found interesting and very funny, and you could probably talk about this more than I could, or even he could, is that their training facility is apparently, it's in the suburbs, it's not in New York City, like their practice facility, right? Yeah, it's in, uh, it's in Westchester. Yeah, and, and his, and Michael Rapford, you know, kind of also being a comedian that he is, he's kind of like, you know, no young man that's like 25, 28, right? Money, power, wealth wants to kind of live in that type of area. They want to be in New York City and have the actual New York City lifestyle. Do you think there is anything to that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I wrote about it 
this past year about the fact that you know the practice facility is pretty far away and it's, a, it's kind of an annoying commute and you know I had several Knicks tell me you know on the record like it, it sucks they don't like it that they have to travel you know an hour to practice or uh, an hour to games or whatever it is but if you want to live in the city you can live in the city like you know you maybe the cost of rent in Manhattan is more prohibitive for young players to live there than like an hour drive to practice um, but it's feasible. I, I think probably the bigger reason why you know stars don't go there is a bunch of other stuff, like the fact that they've been losing for most of the past two decades and the instability and sometimes the dysfunction that comes out of the organization. Uh, I would probably guess that having a, facility, a practice facility that far away is on the list, but it's probably not like top three or anything. What would you say are the biggest three reasons why the New York Knicks aren't able to get free agents like, you know, there's been Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. In 2010, there was LeBron James. What would you say is your three biggest reasons? I mean, I would just mostly say it's the fact that it's not been an attractive organization for the last 10 years, right? Uh, They haven't won. They haven't been stable. Like, they've had a lot of turnover, whether it's been in the front office or whether it's been the coach. Like, players just want to go somewhere where it's stable, where they can win, um, and where they can have fun and uh, have it not be like a constant pain in the ass, basically. I mean, LeBron going to the Lakers is the lone exception, but even then, you had at least Magic Johnson. He was the president at the time, uh, so you had a great, you know, executive frontman for the organization who could convince someone to go there. The Knicks haven't had that. You know, if they win, um, and if they, if they start making the playoffs, I, I bet it will be a lot easier to get someone to go to New York. So do you think when people mention Dolan for the reason why players don't want to go, do you think that's an overrated uh reason why uh i mean i don't i don't know what it's overrated for i don't know what the scale is but it's you know it's probably part of the reason but i don't know if it's like the main reason it's hard to say right i don't know that players will talk about this uh truthfully in the media and i I haven't had those types of conversations but you know just kind of reading between the lines it there's a bunch of contributing factors i think it's hard to say it's just like one thing it's all that stuff when you combine it together and you see what the knicks have been for the last few years that makes it difficult for them to attract a star rather than just, like, isolating one thing. And what would you... Do you think James Dolan is criticized too much as an owner? Or... Because a lot of the times, right, you put the people in place to do their jobs. So, you know, there's only saying as an owner, you can only do so much when you're trying... You get good advice or you think you're getting good advice from people and maybe the coach or the player doesn't work out. That's not necessarily him. Do you think he gets a bad rap as an owner or do you think it's fair? No, I mean, it's it's deserved. They haven't won a lot under him. Um, You know, he's done some good things like just spend a lot. But listen, his decision-making hasn't been good. You can say, um, you know, the presidents and the coaches that he's hired haven't been good, but, you know, he... reserves responsibility for those hires right you don't just get to say okay uh the, the people that i hired are bad therefore you know i didn't do a bad job that's not how that works so uh he's the owner he's the guy who's been like at the top of the org chart for the last 20 years you don't just uh, escape fault if the uh if the team hasn't been good under your stewardship now really quickly can you kind of talk about kind of like the rivalry and kind of just the connection kind of going on with the Knicks and both the Nets, right? You have the Brooklyn, they move from New Jersey, they move all the way to Brooklyn and kind of how they got kind of the two stars that the Knicks kind of were angling for and uh, a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving. Do you think there kind of is pressure with the Knicks that, you know, we got to kind of outperform Brooklyn? Like it's kind of like that Clippers-Lakers kind of scenario. Um, 
I think the rivalry is probably more Brooklyn to Knicks than it is Knicks to Brooklyn, uh, at least from what I've seen. You know, it seems like um, uh, Nets fans might care more about it than Knicks fans. Um, you know, I think the Knicks fans, because they're the, you know, like I want to say the incumbent, they're the big brother, uh, probably matters to them a little bit less than the Nets who are just trying to find their footing. And so there's like a clear rival to try to overcome, right? So that that's my read on it. Now, how did you, what would you give a grade on for uh, R.J. Barrett, rookie out of Duke, his uh, rookie season? Uh, I don't know, like a C, but I'm kind of an incomplete, I don't know, it's hard to grade rookies. Most rookies are bad. Um, I don't think R.J. was an exception in that rule. Like, he had some nice things to his game, um, but most of it, he just struggled a lot. His jump shot, uh, obviously, was rough. Um, he showed some, you know, he showed skill getting to the line and getting to like the free throw line and getting to the rim and all that stuff. But there was a lot of struggles there. And so usually, unless it's like someone like John Moran or Zion Williamson or something like that, or someone who's just really, really exceptionally bad, I kind of just go see and middle it like that and let them see what they are in the second year in the NBA. How much do you think kind of like even just the fans, like not even the organization, just the fans, like just kind of the atmosphere around New York? Because coming into that lottery, right? Everybody was like, we need Zion. We need to get Zion. They don't They don't get the number one pick, right? That goes to the Pelicans. But even the number two pick, and nobody really knew necessarily what Ja was going to necessarily be coming out of Murray State. But it turns out, right, Ja is going to be super legit. Do you think there's kind of this angst of like, oh, we got R.J. Barrett where we didn't get Zion, who was the big fish. We didn't even get Ja, who turns out he's going to be a really special player. Yeah, I don't know. Um... I, yeah, I, I think for fans, probably it is. Like, I, I think it's clear. Like, it, it became a two-person draft, and they had a third pick, right? That's really unlucky. Um, that's that's a bad break for them. The Knicks have had that kind of break in the draft in years before. Um, and I think, you know, coming into the lottery, you could probably tell that it was a two-person draft, um, at least that because it seemed like John Moran was the clear number two behind Zion Williamson. I, I don't know if everyone thought it would be like that large of a gap between RJ and John Moran, but now it's kind of building into it because Ja was like really good as a rookie point guard, especially. Um, and RJ Barrett struggled. He wasn't, he wasn't in a great situation, but the, um, the division between the two of them was clear. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Happy to come on. And once again, I want to thank both Kenny Sim and Mike Vorkanoff for coming on the pod. Really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it talking about the Knicks and college football. Very interesting time in sports. But thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode, the 189th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.